Baptist Church exists to see God glorified, the church edified, and our community served by declaring and displaying the gospel. John chapter 2, we're going to be starting in verse 23, picking up where we left off two weeks ago. If you don't have a Bible with you, and if you don't have a, a Bible at all, there should be uh, Bibles around you in the pews. If you don't have one, feel free to take that. That's our gift to you. Um, that, so we saw Jesus two weeks ago turn water to wine, and then last week we saw him drive out the money changers and the traders from God's holy temple. And after both of these events, John writes that the disciples believed And I believe John wrote about these events to inspire us to believe. But not all belief is true belief. These events were meant to inspire us, but there's also a truth that there are some people who have a knowledge of Christianity in their head, which has never made it into their hearts. And it's incredibly difficult to tell the difference. In this text, Jesus is going to go public with his signs and miracles, and many are going to believe in him in their heads, but Jesus knows what's in their hearts. Jesus knows that their faith is shallow. And so how do we deal with someone like that? Well, this text deals with a person like that, and Jesus deals with a person like that. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into this. Dear Heavenly Father, we believe that you saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of your mercy. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Let the desire of our church be that you get all the credit for anything good we've ever done. Lord, send your spirit to do a miracle in the hearts of any who are lost here today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen. Getting to heaven is not just difficult. It's impossible. One time when Jesus was preaching, a rich young ruler came up to him, and this guy had influence, money, and authority. He seems like the exactly, exactly the kind of person you'd want as a follower. If you walked in this church, I'd say, oh, let's get him to be a member. But God does not use the same methods as the world, and Jesus knew what was in his heart. Jesus knew that this man loved his possessions more than he loved God. So Jesus told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And the man went away sad because he loved his possessions more than he loved God. And Jesus told his disciples, with man, salvation is impossible. Jesus knew what he needed was not more good deeds, but what he actually needed was a new heart from God. He needed a new heart that loved God more than it loved money. He needed Jesus. He needed to be reborn. He needed a miracle. So the end of that statement, Jesus said, With man, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Because getting to heaven is not just difficult. It is impossible. So let me ask you, has that miracle of rebirth happened in your life? Has your life been radically changed by Jesus? Have you been born again? I hate the term born-again Christian because it assumes that there's any other kind of Christian besides a born-again one. And I also hate it because it's become a political category. It's a way to measure people in polls. When people ask you if you're a born-again Christian, they're not asking about your heart. They're asking how you vote. And those things are often disconnected. But this morning, we have to stop thinking like Americans. We need to stop reading the polls. We need to ask the question of ourselves, has God done a miracle in our hearts? Because if there's no miracle, there's no heaven. If there's no new birth, there is no forgiveness. Jesus says in this passage, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. There's some passages that we can interpret wrong and still be Christians and we can have honest disagreements on. But this is not one of those passages. 
If we miss what this passage has, we miss eternal life. Not just for ourselves, but for others we tell Jesus about. My prayer this morning is that you would rely entirely on God for salvation. Because in John 2, 23, through chapter 3, verse 6, we find three hard truths about mankind. Three hard truths about mankind. First, we're going to see that all people are wicked. All people are wicked. We'll find that in chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Secondly, we'll see that all people are helpless. All people are helpless. Well, when we go to chapter 3, the first four verses are about that. And then we'll see all people need to be born again. All people need to be born again. They say you grow a church by being more encouraging. So I, I thought this was pretty encouraging for y'all. Um, we're going to find that in verses 5 through 6. But let's start with the first hard truth about mankind. All people are wicked. Look with me to verse 23. Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they had saw, saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. After Jesus had cleansed the temple, he did many miracles, and John notes that many believed, and this seems like good news, right, at this point in the story? I mean, isn't this the whole point of the book of John, is he wants more followers, he wants Jesus to believe, he wants us to believe and continue believing? The problem is, they don't truly believe in him. Many trust in Jesus, but Jesus does not trust them. Many believe in Jesus, but he doesn't believe in them. Why not? Because Jesus knows their hearts. But only God knows what's in a person's heart. Exactly. Jesus has already shown us multiple times that he has access to the divine storage of knowledge. That though he is truly man and limited in many ways by what we're limited by, he is also truly God. And in his deity, he knows everything, even the hearts of the people. There's no one that knows me better than my wife. There's probably a person you're thinking of that that knows you better than everyone else. But that person does not know you better than Jesus does. You don't even know yourself better than Jesus is. He knows the true conditions of your heart. No one helped to tell Jesus anything because he knew what was in man. So now the question is, what is in man? When you go to a passage like Jeremiah 17 that says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, Yahweh the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. You and I are unable to fully understand the wickedness of our own hearts. The Lord knows your heart better than you do. And because Jesus is the Lord Yahweh, he knows that all people are wicked. When Adam rebelled in the garden, he not only cursed himself, but all of his descendants. We all follow in Adam's footsteps, listening to the lies of Satan rather than trusting in God's word and obeying his commands. We all rebel against God's rule and authority. And this rebellion begins when? at birth. You see, here's the problem. All of us were born sinners. This is what theologians call the doctrine of original sin. Original sin. Original sin is the teaching that all mankind is naturally wicked. The Bible calls babies a blessing from God, and they absolutely are, and I love children, and we want to have a whole bunch more, but the Bible also says that babies are born sinful and selfish. David wrote in Psalm 51 that he was sinful from conception. We are not born innocent, perfect angels who were then corrupted by our environment. No, we're born with the original sin of our forefather, Adam. When you have a baby, 
Let me tell you, your newborn does not care about what you're doing, whether or not you're busy, whether or not you're hungry, exhausted, or even had a shower in five days. Amen, somebody. If you had children, you know this. All they care about is me, me, me. And I'll tell you, if, if infants, especially newborns, if they could cost, cut, if, they think, if they could talk, all they would say would be cuss words. Every other word would be a cuss word because they're so angry and there's so much fury. The cry begins early. Vodi Bakum is the dean of theology at the African Christian University. And, and this is what he says about original sin. People who don't believe in original sin don't have children. That's not a little angel. That's a viper in a diaper. <laughs> the reason God makes babies so small is so they can't kill you. And the reason God makes them so cute is so that you don't kill them. <laughs> End quote. A lot of wisdom there. This selfishness isn't something that we grow out of, but it defines our very species. No one in here was a perfect angel for their parents. If you don't believe me, you should go talk to them and ask them about how you behave. But if you think about your childhood, how often did you disobey and dishonor your parents? How early in life do you think it was that you first lied to your parents? You probably can't even remember because it begins early. Everyone from birth began with one concern, themselves. And that's our problem. This is our condition. This is our curse. Listen to Romans 3. It says this. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Our problem is not just that we're wicked and we need forgiveness. Our problem is that we're helpless and we don't want forgiveness. We don't need good advice on how to improve ourselves. We need good news on how to be made new, on how to be forgiven for our wickedness and how to be helped. We don't need to be reformed. We need a new nature. We don't need religion. We need God to work a miracle within us. These people who are following Jesus in this passage, they've seen his miracles, but they have not been changed. They want Jesus to deliver them from the Romans, not the wrath of God. They have faith, but their faith is shallow and superficial. The book of James talks about two kinds of faith, a dead faith and a living faith. I've had dear friends who have claimed to be Christians and they lived their lives as Christians for years until eventually either sin became so alluring that they left Christ for that sin or some kind of false teaching caused them to reject the scriptures. And it's heartbreaking when it happens, but it would appear that these individuals did not have a living faith that the Bible talks about, an enduring faith. Jesus knows that this crowd does not have saving faith and so he doesn't trust them because all people are wicked. But not only are all people wicked, all people are also helpless. Look at me. Look with me to verse three in chapter or verse one in chapter three. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. If you needed an example of someone who believes with their head but still has a wicked heart, this section starts with now there was a man. John switches from the group of shallow believers to Nicodemus because this man is one of those shallow believers. John notes that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And this could have been because he didn't want anyone to know that he believed in Jesus. So he came under the cover of night. And so John is already hinting at us that Nicodemus does not have true faith, that he doesn't truly understand. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, but John also tells us that he is a ruler of the Jews. And this is most likely known to a group called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the highest religious court in Israel. They were the religious rulers. So Nicodemus would have been greatly respected as both a holy man and a leader. But John is telling us that there is something off about his faith. 
Look back with me at verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus starts by calling him rabbi or teacher. This seems like humility, but what is he actually saying? He's saying, Jesus, you're a teacher like me. We're on the same level. Jesus was a carpenter. He was a commoner. He had no training in the Bible. He had no religious influence, no position of authority. He was someone who had to work with his hands, who wouldn't have had the time to study the Bible like the Pharisees. So in Nicodemus's mind, he's flattering Jesus. You're a teacher. But this reveals to us what Jesus already knows. Nicodemus really has no clue who he's talking to. He then continues his flattery by saying, we know that you come from God. Some commentators note that Nicodemus says, we know instead of I know, because this may be telling us that he has a faith, but it's not a personal faith. Shallow faith likes to hide in a crowd. I can't count the number of people who, who when I ask them about their faith, they, they say, oh, my, my husband was a believer. My, my dad, he was a, a dear saint. My grandmother, she prayed like crazy. That they, they rely on the faith of others to compensate for their lack of faith. And here Nicodemus wasn't, doesn't want to commit too much to believing in Jesus. So he says, we know. And the irony again is that he claims to have knowledge and what he does know is correct. God is with Jesus. Jesus is a teacher, but this does not begin to scratch the surface of who Jesus is. And it's so essential that we don't just see Jesus as some great philosopher or some great moral teacher or just another prophet. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but by him. There is no name under heaven or on earth that any man can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. He is the almighty, all-knowing, eternal son of God. He created all things by his hand. And even now he is holding our very existence together. And if he were to stop, we would disappear. That's who Jesus is. When we pray to Jesus, worship Jesus, talk about Jesus, and even trust in Jesus for salvation, we must understand who he is. But Nicodemus doesn't have a clue. And see what he says in, in verse 3. See what Jesus tells him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus begins with this double amen, which translates here, truly, truly. Why does he say amen, amen? Because what he's about to say is going to be unbelievable. Jesus gives Nicodemus a diagnosis, and it is terminal. He tells him that he has to be totally remade. He can't just add a little more effort to his religious life. He has to be entirely remade. Now let me ask you a question, and I want everyone to think for, for a second here. Think with me. How long have you been a Christian? Don't answer out loud. How long have you been a Christian? I can't count the number of people who have told me, I've been a Christian my entire life. I grew up in a Christian family. And if that's your answer, I think we have a huge problem. The words of Jesus in John 3, 3 absolutely destroys the idea that you can be born a Christian. No one is born a Christian. Every individual must be converted or you have no hope of heaven. You may have been raised in a Christian household. You may have gone to church your entire life. But if you have not been entirely remade by God, you should worry. You should be concerned. Nicodemus was raised in God's chosen country. He was one of God's chosen people. He's been taught the scripture since he was an infant. To be a Pharisee, he had probably dedicated years of his life to studying the word of God. And if anyone had been a believer his whole life, it would have been Nicodemus. 
If anyone deserved to enter the kingdom of God, it was Nicodemus. But what does Jesus say to him? You must be born again. Why does Jesus use this picture of a new birth, of being born again? I want to do a quick survey. I want everyone, raise your hand if you at one point in your life were born. And we got one, two, everybody, right? That's how we got here. So, so Jesus is using the picture of birth as something we can all relate to. And, and I want you to think back to your birth. Think about all the time that you had to put into it and all the training that you had to do to prepare for that day. Think about all the books you had to read before you were born. Wait a second. There were no books. There was no training. There was no preparation or seminars or anything. None of us did anything to be born. When you're being born, it's an entirely passive event. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying you're helpless. All people are helpless from the moment of conception. What is Jesus really telling Nicodemus? He's saying that he is spiritually helpless and that he is totally unable to save himself. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, your salvation is not a tradition inherited from your parents. You can do nothing to change yourself. Something radical is going to have to happen to you that is entirely out of your control. Nicodemus probably believed that his good works were good enough to earn him a spot in heaven. But Jesus knows what is in his heart and tells him that his good deeds are doing nothing to earn him a place in the kingdom. He's helpless to save himself, just like the rest of us. But look how helpless Nicodemus really is in verse 4. Look what he says. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus hears Jesus speaking spiritually, and he thinks he's speaking about earthly things. Just like the Jewish rulers from the last chapter, when Jesus says, I'm going to destroy this temple in three days, raise it up. They think that he's talking about the real temple. And Jesus is speaking spiritually. Nicodemus thinks Jesus is being absurd. He probably thinks Jesus is out of his mind. What are you talking about? I thought you were a teacher from God, but you're saying some crazy stuff right now. He came to Jesus and addressed him as a teacher, and now he's going off about reentering his mother's womb. What? This guy's insane. But John tells us this to show us that Nicodemus is still in spiritual darkness. He's still blind. He still doesn't understand. He's not just helpless to save himself. He's helpless to understand the words that Jesus has for him. And so are all people descended from Adam. So are you and I, unless something happens. We're all born helpless to save ourselves or even to understand God's truth. You may be wondering, if we're so wicked and so hopeless, is there any hope? Yes, there's hope. The only hope for wicked, helpless people is if they are born again. All people must be born again. But you may be wondering, well, how does someone get born again? Look with me to verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In response to Nicodemus' misunderstanding, he gives some clarification, which is interesting because he didn't do that in the last chapter with the other Jewish leaders. He expands on his first statement and now adds that you must be born of the water and the spirit. Why does he use that phrase? I think Jesus uses the phrase born of the water and of the spirit because he's quoting the Old Testament. Jesus is referencing Ezekiel 36. We read that at the beginning of the service during our call to worship. And remember what God said. God said, I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart with a new spirit. You got the water and spirit. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So when Jesus says water and spirit, he's saying you have to have your sins washed away and you have to be given a new heart, a heart that desires God and to do his will. And I think this is what is symbolized by baptism. That you are a new creature in Christ. That you have been washed by the Spirit. That you have been buried with Christ in baptism. And you have been raised with Him. Water baptism is only meant to be a picture of the Spirit's baptism that Jesus is talking about here. And there's many who, who look at this verse and they think, oh, I have to be baptized to be saved. That's a dangerous thought. Because not only do you have to completely ignore that Jesus was quoting Ezekiel and what he's talking about and what, what the intention is behind what he's saying. He's not talking about water baptism. But also the Bible is crystal clear that salvation is a free gift. Ephesians 2 says that we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. If it was by baptism, we could boast. to say, I, ba- I got baptized. I did it. No. That's not how salvation works. Baptism is a beautiful picture of God's grace and his gospel. It's a terrible sin to neglect baptism. I'll say that. We're commanded to be baptized, but water baptism doesn't save you. It can't save you. I've known many people who've said, of course I've been born again, I've been baptized. That's dangerous. That kind of statement damns people. Because if you think that baptism and being born again are the same thing, your faith is not in the Savior, but in the symbol. It's in the ceremony, not in Jesus. That's dangerous. So what do we have to be born again? I think the answer here that we're going to see this week and next week, the answer is nothing. There's absolutely nothing. I've heard preachers talk about these are the 10 steps to be born again, and this is how you're born again. And I think the people who speak like this have really good intentions. But the problem is that they confuse being born again with believing. We're commanded to repent and believe, but notice that in these verses, Jesus does not command Nicodemus to do anything until really verse 15, when he says, look and believe. Jesus is simply telling Nicodemus what must happen for him to go to heaven. And to be clear, in verse 16, we know that all who believe in Jesus have eternal life, but being born again is something different than believing. It's a different moment. It's closely connected to believing, but it's, it's not the same thing. Our problem is not just that we're wicked and we need forgiveness. Our problem is that we're helpless and we don't want forgiveness. We don't understand spiritual things. We have no desire for God. So someone, something needs to happen before we can even believe that, so that we can be forgiven. I've heard people compare salvation to a man drowning and say, yes, we're all sinners, they say, and we're drowning in the ocean until God threw us a life raft, but it's still up to us to grab the life raft and pull ourselves in. That's not the biblical picture. The biblical picture is that we were dead at the bottom of the sea. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were all once dead in our sins. So how do we go from spiritual deadness to spiritual life? We need a miracle. You and I weren't drowning until God came along. We were dead. And you don't need God to throw you a life, Rad, because dead men can't grab. You need God to dive from the boat and find your lifeless body on the ocean floor. You need him to find the rotten corpse that you are and you need him to breathe life into your lungs. You need resurrection. You need to be raised from the dead. If Romans 3 is right and no one seeks for God, then we need God to do a miracle before we can even seek him. We need the spirit to come into our hearts and make Christ beautiful to our eyes, make him desirable. We need transformation that leads us to trust in the truth. 
It takes a miracle for anyone to be converted. Whether they've been in church their entire lives or they've never heard the gospel, every single time a person comes to faith in Jesus, it is a miraculous act of an almighty sovereign God who is pouring out his grace on undeserving sinners. Amen, church? If any of you are saved in here, it's because God has caused you to be born again. And he has done a miracle in your heart that you once wanted nothing to do with God. And he has given you a desire to love his son and to trust in his sacrifice. You may have never prayed a prayer. You may have never walked down an aisle or gotten baptized. But if God has given you a true faith and changed your heart and led you to trust in Jesus for forgiveness, you have been born again. When when Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born of the water and of the spirit, he's telling him that he needs to be given a new heart with new desires. And then that God has to be the one that saves you. You can't save yourself. And then he elaborates in verse 6. Look with me. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus, once again, is quoting the Old Testament to give Nicodemus more information, a clearer picture. And he's referencing Genesis 6.3 that says this. My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are flesh. So he's using these parallels of spirit and flesh. And I think this contrast between spirit and flesh is so clear. The flesh of mankind is sinful, but the spirit of God is holy. And two verses later, in Genesis 6, it says this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So one of the clearest statements we have on how evil our hearts really are. Not just some of our thoughts, some of the times, but every inclination of our hearts all the time. It is impossible to exaggerate the sinfulness of man. And because we're flesh, we can't change ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to do something in us. And Jesus is telling him that he is wicked and that Nicodemus was helpless and so are we. And this is incredibly humbling. This is a hard pill to swallow for a lot of us. But I also think that this should lead us to praise and thank God for his sovereign grace. You are more wicked and more helpless than you could have ever imagined. And God was more merciful and gracious than you've ever realized. Truly, truly, I say to you, all people need to be born again. My prayer this morning was that you would rely entirely on God for salvation. Because in this passage, we found three hard truths about mankind. found that all people are wicked, helpless, and all people need to be born again. So let me ask you, has that miracle happened in your life? Has your life been radically changed by Jesus? Have you been born again? Has God done a miracle in your heart? Because if there's no miracle, there's no heaven. If there's no new birth, there is no forgiveness. Have you been trusting in the faith of your family like Nicodemus was? Have you thought that you were already good enough to go to heaven? That oh, maybe I need to do more. I need to go to church more. I need to read my Bible more. Or have you been radically changed by the Holy Spirit? I've got two pastoral charges for you, church. Uh, First pastoral charge. Stop trying to earn heaven and trust alone in Jesus. Stop trying to earn heaven and trust alone in Jesus. If you died and stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you in? What would you say? I love this question because it reveals what we're really trusting in. So so think think about it for a second. I ask people this a lot. If you died and stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you in? What would you say? Most people say, well, I wasn't perfect, but I'm a pretty good person. I think Nicodemus, if if he were to be asked this question, this is what he would say. He said, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I've lived my whole life for you, Lord. I've studied your word. I was a teacher of the law. And that's a a pretty impressive 
sounding answer, but it's just arrogance in righteous looking clothes and religious clothes. The prophet Isaiah wrote that all our good works are but filthy rags before God. We're all sinners in need of forgiveness. Your good deeds can't bribe God into letting you in. Know that there's nothing that you can do to save yourself. It doesn't matter how many good things you've done. It doesn't matter how many church services you've attended. It doesn't matter how many times you've taken communion, how many times you've been baptized. You can do nothing. But you know what God did? 2,000 years ago, Jesus, who was truly God, took on flesh and became truly man. And he lived the perfect life that you could not and died the death that you and I deserved. He bore the punishment for the wicked. And then he rose from the dead, proving that his sacrifice was a pleasing and acceptable sacrifice to the Father. And now he commands all men everywhere to repent and trust alone in what he did on the cross. That is the gospel. This is the good news. If Jesus is not who you're trusting in, you have not been born again. You may ask, okay, well, what do I have to do to be born again? The answer is you can't do anything. It's not up to you. God has to work a work in your heart. If you need, um, if, but listen to this. If you feel the spirit working in your heart, if you feel sorry for the sins that you have committed, if you need forgiveness, then look to Jesus and be saved. Trust in Christ's sacrifice today. The Holy, how the Holy Spirit causes men to be born again is truly a mystery. I can see it in some of your eyes. Wait, how does that happen? How does God... Listen, it's a mystery. The clear command for us as Christians is to believe in what Jesus has done. And if you truly believe, you know that the Spirit has made a work in you and has caused you to be born again. Stop trying to earn heaven and trust alone in Jesus. Second pastoral charge. Bring the good news of Jesus to the wicked and the hopeless. Bring the good news of Jesus to the wicked and the hopeless. If all people are as wicked and helpless as the Bible says they are, then they are desperately in need of the good news of Jesus. This is not just for the town drunk, but for the sweet old lady down the road who believes that she is good enough to get to heaven. It's not just for the kid who's rebellious and an atheist and wants nothing to do with church and never been to church. It's also for the kid in the Christian family who's been going to church all his life. The Bible calls us ambassadors for Christ, and we have an obligation to tell them about Jesus. But wait, 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 Taylor, you've been going on and on about this is God who's the one who's doing this, and he's the one that makes people born again. If God has to do a miracle first, why even bother sharing my faith? And that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. When we share the gospel, it's like handing out lightning rods. You don't know when it's going to strike, but there's a greater probability if you hand out that lightning rod that God's going to send his spirit. God does not promise that he'll save someone every time you share your faith. But the normal everyday way that God saves people is through his word. That's why in Romans it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So go out and share your faith. Give people those little cards that we have with the church's picture and the gospel. Write some handwritten notes. Do whatever you can. Invite them over for a meal and share your story. Do whatever you can to hand out those lightning rods. Do whatever you can to get the message of Jesus out to people and pray that the Holy Spirit would strike like lightning and give them a heart and a desire for the Lord. Bring the good news of Jesus to the wicked and hopeless. I lied to you guys. I said there's only two pastoral charges. I got one more. So third pastoral charge, examine yourself to see if you've been born again. Examine yourself to see if you've been born again. 
We're going to take communion to end the service. And I love communion, I'll just tell you. It's a beautiful picture of the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus. I love it so much, I wish we did it every Sunday. But communion should not be taken lightly. Um, Hear this warning from 1 Corinthians. A man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself. If he does not judge the body rightly, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number have died. Communion is a beautiful ceremony, but it's dangerous thing to do with a holy God. These gospel symbols and the bread and wine, um, they're only for those who have put their their trust alone in Jesus uh, as their sacrifice. And, And I'm asking you to examine yourself. Ask yourself if you've truly been born again, because this is only for believers. If you're a visitor here, like we love you, we're glad you're here, but like this is this is only for us. Um, so, so let me ask you: Are you truly born again? You may be wondering, well, how do I know if I'm truly born again? Well, first, do you truly believe? Are you trusting alone in what Jesus did on the cross? If your trust is in your works, you've not been born again. Also, ask yourself: Do you believe from your heart? A lot of people believe in Jesus with their head, but they're not trusting them with their hearts. Has your heart changed? Has your desires changed from loving the things of this world to loving Jesus? And lastly, um, has believing in Jesus changed the way that you live your life? I know a ton of people who have prayed a prayer or walked an aisle and they claim to be born again, but their life is totally unchanged. If your heart is changed, there should be real lasting change that affects the way you live. So I'm asking you, examine yourself. Those good works that we do are not to be saved, but because we have been saved. And a new heart should produce a different life. So these are hard questions. These are good questions. But the last pastoral charge, examine yourself to be born again. And if you have not been born again or you're not sure, I'd ask you, don't take. Let's talk about it. Let's make sure you get it right. This is, this is a holy thing that we're doing. Don't take communion if you're not born again. If you don't have true faith in Christ alone, if you don't believe from the heart, if your life has not been changed by believing in Jesus, we ask you don't take. Instead, this is what we ask you to do. Instead, take Jesus. Sit in your seat and pray and cry out to God and beg him for forgiveness and that he would give you true faith, that he would give you a love for his word and for his son, that he would wash away your sins. Hi, Taylor Callen, pastor of Oregon Baptist Church. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon. I pray that you are more encouraged and love Jesus and the gospel more after hearing the sermon than when you first sat down to listen to it. Know that that our heart at this church is that this sermon would be an encouragement to you and would be a useful resource, but would in no way replace the pastor that God has called to shepherd you or the church that you're called to be a member of. With that being said, If you want more information about our church or want to hear more sermons, go to horicanbaptist.com.